Hello, dear friends. Welcome to the Principled Podcast. From the work we do with hundreds of school leaders around the globe, it is becoming clearer and clearer to us at Making Stuff Better that a new way of thinking is needed in order to meet the needs of a rapidly changing world. The challenge and opportunity for us at MSB is always this. How can we help leaders in schools develop new ways of thinking that align with the emergent reality of life in the 21st century? If we accept that a new way of thinking is needed, which we do, and that educators are pivotal in creating the conditions for change that are so needed in the world, then what are the implications for school leaders as they continue to grow learning communities that thrive? It's a big question. So for this second season, we're going to refine our quest and focus specifically on systemic and organisational health. What is it? What does it feel like? How do you create it? And what matters about it? And how might thinking from a systemic perspective help us in the challenges I've just outlined? We're not looking for a single answer. As Meg Wheatley rightly says, everyone in a complex system has a slightly different interpretation. The more interpretations we gather, the easier it becomes to gain a sense of the whole. So gather interpretations we will. Join us in this second season where we will draw on wisdom of leaders from the worlds of ecology, systems thinking, poetry, dendrology, that's the study of trees, I had to look it up, and many, many more. This season is a series of journeys we will take to explore what organisational health means in a school in the 21st century. It's by me, Matt Hall, and my friend and colleague Naomi Ward, powered by Making Stuff Better. And I'm curious enough to just, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but I wanted to, um, what's the equivalent of the wolves in Scotland to a school system that might be struggling with a emergence of a symptom? Well, I talked about behaviour earlier on. An equivalent of that might be the introduction of restorative practices and restorative justice. Now, doing so... That's the big introduction of something, but we, we've seen in you know the justice system in some countries the transformative effect that the introduction of restorative practices have had, both on reoffending rates and on the you know the well-being, mental health of of people within the system, etc. So, introducing restorative practice into a school is a massive injection of something significant but I think it's an example of something that would have a really positive ripple effect and would actually start to feed into every single part of that ecosystem. Now granted I may be misunderstanding some of my terminology as I said I'm new to this party it's a new toy but the thing with wolves in Scotland that's the reintroduction right because we as human beings were responsible for the removal of that Whereas restorative practice, obviously, for many schools, it would be a totally new thing. But that would be an example for, for me of, of trying to introduce something to that system, which could then have that, that ripple effect. And you know, in terms of toxins, well, you know, some of the schools I work with, their governance structures have wanted to introduce some sort of performance-related pay. Now, wherever you stand on this, most educators would resist that idea. And it's not something that has existed in the school system for decades, but some schools are considering that sort of idea. And my worry is that if you were to introduce performance-related pay, you might find that that ends up being a toxin, which uh, infects every single part of that system and every single human being 
that inhabits that system. So I think those are two examples that, that come to mind about change that we might effect that may have those positive and those negative effects on, on, on the whole system. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, really, really useful. And I'm, I'm wondering what's coming up for you, Matt, as you are hearing about this complexity and how, how we might nudge, nudge it in the right direction. A lot's here for me. And I know you often say, I put myself into the shoes of, of our listeners who are often, you know, leading and running international schools or working in them. And I'm going to come to that in a minute. I, I guess I am, I just, I do really identify with what you described, Matthew, as something you're new to. And I feel like MSB is relatively new to it as well, but we, we too are identifying the need in the people we work with. And I think in ourselves, in response to what is happening both at micro levels in schools, but kind of macro levels globally, that, you know, the thinking that has got us here absolutely is not going to get us there. The need for systemic thinking, and systemic thinking is not that new, right? But, but the need for it now feels greater than ever. If you consider the climate crisis as just one example of, of why we need to be thinking systemically, you know, and you just gave us a couple of really good examples of that. And to that end, I, I suppose I see our work as well as your work as having a place in leading that shift in the way in which schools, school leaders think and schools educate children to think more systemically. So that, I guess that's, that's what's on my mind. And then let me then for, therefore indulge me slightly. I'll come back to, there's a big system that I'm part of as I run my school as a school leader, which is the corporate system that I'm employed by and the exam system and the accountability system. And I get it. I get it. But actually at the same time, this system requires me to think of students as individuals and to, and to create a culture in some ways where students are individuals, because we are literally lining them up against each other and measuring them and getting them to compete. So, so yes, I hear you, but what do I do about that? What about, what do I do about the, 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 what feels like a very rigid system above me, around me. And the beauty of this podcast, Matthew, is I get to ask you that because <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure I have an answer. And I suppose one of the luxuries of my position is I no longer lead schools, so I don't have to be the person <laughs> in that position, you know, navigating those complicated things. I just get to prod and poke and provoke and disrupt, I suppose. But I had a, I was given an audience with a, a large group of parents in a school in Singapore last year. It was secondary parents. And essentially, what I'd been asked to do with these parents was to go some way towards persuading them that the school putting well-being first would be the right path to go down. And these were parents who, you know, were paying very good money for academic results. And in a society where academic uh, excellence was prized above almost all else. And essentially what I was trying to say there is that there is no either or there. On the contrary, if we put well-being first, academics are going to thrive. There is research to prove that, but we almost don't need research to prove that, right? That, you know, show me some research that shows if I'm miserable, I'll do better. But if we put academics first, then there is a lot of evidence to show that for many kids, well-being absolutely with us. Now, if we are to have the courage as leaders to listen to slow down 
and to approach the leadership of our school systemically, there aren't going to be negative results, right? In the medium to long term, actually, not that we should prize this amongst um, above all else, but actually the academics would also improve. So I think that for, for, for the leader who begins down this road or has trodden this road for a bit and then starts to become a little bit scared that maybe, you know, this isn't the right way to go. We need to have the, the, the confidence, the belief and the trust that if we try and enrich the system, then each of the constituent parts within that system are going to be enriched too. So I suppose in answer to your question, it takes it takes trust. And if we need to be reminded, I mean, you talked some of the, you talked about some of the big problems in the world. You talked about the climate crisis, for example. We've known about this for a very long time, right? And we've actually done nothing to improve it and only done things to make it worse. Because each time we, and I use the word we very loosely here, but we as a, as a humanity have tried to come up with the quick fixes. We've tried to say, right, if we do this, then it will solve the problem. And we do the same in the education system. You know, recent data in the UK state sector is such that the gap between north and south or between rich and poor in terms of exam results at GCSE and A-level is bigger than ever before, right? So there is an attainment gap, an achievement gap, where the most marginalized are doing much worse than ever before in relation to those who are uh, firmly at the center doing much better than ever before. But that's not a new thing. There was an achievement gap in British state schools five years ago and 15 years ago and 25 years ago. And what we've always done is said, right, well, what we're going to do to solve that problem is we're going to do this, right? Forgetting, as I said earlier on, that the problem is not the problem. It's not just that and nothing more. And that achievement gap will reside in and derive from the health system. It will reside in and derive from the economy. It will, it, it will depend upon and also impact the political system and politics, even spirituality and religion. Everything is involved in that emergence because that achievement gap is the emergence. And if we continually persist in trying to solve the emergence without stepping back, slowing down, and actually starting to consider what is submerged, then you're right, nothing is ever going to get better. In fact, it's just going to get worse. And one of the really interesting provocative questions that Nora Bateson asks, and there's an amazing Medium article that, that she wrote with this title, which is, what is submerging? So if we accept that we have the emergent and the submerged, what that we are doing, thinking, saying now is submerging into the soil of tomorrow. I don't think we will know for years, maybe decades, precisely the damage that has been done to children and young people who were growing up and developing and learning mid-pandemic, right? 
and our responses to that and the way we're responding to it now, all of those things are gradually submerging into the soil that will emerge in really dark and dangerous ways in the future. So I think that I think that now I've been talking, probably that was a sentence. It probably had about 5,000 words before I reached a full stop. And this sometimes happens with me. I get kind of confused by where my sentence is going. You should read some of my writing. There's virtually... friends it's matt here just interrupting your podcast to let you know that if you're enjoying the nature of the guests and the conversations then there's plenty more to get involved in over at msb we run a symposium series these are interactive live online workshops two or three times a term where we invite speakers from the podcast and beyond to come and work directly with school leaders and educators around the world they're small groups no more than 40 normally in a session and they are really, really engaging and stimulating ways of thinking and reflecting on your leadership. All you have to do is head over to makingstuffbetter.com forward slash symposium and you can sign up for one, two, three, as many of them as you like. And we'd love to see you there. That's makingstuffbetter.com forward slash symposium. They really, really are exciting and engaging workshops from a range of really interesting and different speakers Hope to see you there. On with the podcast. <laughs> Maybe that's a question. Yeah. And I keep coming back to this, what feels true for me, which is this fundamental shift in, in mindset and stance. And I'm thinking a lot about time because we talked about the quick fix urgency, and then kind of relating that to cultural difference, which kind of brings it back to your DEIJ work. And and perhaps if we had more of that enriched soil in leadership of schools and the populations of schools, well, we, we have a different relationship with time because, you know, obviously some cultures think about time generationally, like what I do now, what's the impact going to be in 100 years, 150 years? I think it's very Eurocentric that we think of time in such a short term. So how do we create that mind shift to think, how can we be good ancestors? I sort of feel like in the West, we don't understand that, but in other cultures, it's just, that's just the water you swim in. So what, what can we leverage here to make, to make us see that what we do now it, it just has such a such a devastating or enriching future. Well, I think that urgency trap to which I think you referred earlier in this conversation is very real and is very Eurocentric. I would agree with that. But I think what you and I need to be cautious of, even in this conversation here, is speaking and, and thinking in ways that contradict the very things about which we have been speaking so far, by which I mean this. That urgency trap is not just that and nothing more, right? That problem is not the problem. And in order fully to understand what we do next, we have to conduct this. What's the why behind the why behind the why behind the why? We need to conduct this interrogative 
process. We need to explore this interrelational map so that we understand all of the different things that have led to that short-termism, all of the different things that are affected by that short-termism, how they each interrelate with each other. And once we get an understanding of that ecosystem, then we're better placed to think, right, where could we begin to influence and to initiate positive change in such a way that has the ripple of the wolves as opposed to the, the toxin of the bleach? So that's not me trying to, to, to shy away from the question, but just I think that's a massive question. What do we do about something as enormous as that? We have to approach it as the emergence, and we have to go to what is being submerged at the moment and what is already submerged in our Eurocentric soil. And I wonder, when you talk about emergence, that, that for me feels very embodied a kind of knowing, a connection with your intuition, your your spirituality, which we know, again, the competencies that leaders don't always nurture as much as is now needed, to go back to Matt was saying, you know, what we had yesterday isn't necessarily what we need now. So is there a place for that and trusting that alongside this investigation and mapping and, and, and warm kind of data collection. Where, where's the place of that? Or, you know, that emergence, embodied emergence, sort of urge to act and trust our instincts. The best leader is also the mindful leader. And I think, you know, my mental health journey is, as an adult has been very rocky and, and shaking at times. But what I've learned through all sorts of therapeutic interventions is the importance of that mindfulness, not again as this, almost distorted, contorted abstraction where kids are asked to do half an hour of mindfulness every Friday afternoon. But to be truly mindful and, and reflective and, and tune in to the instincts that you've talked about. So I think that the best leader is the mindful leader who, again, safeguards the time and the space to be able to reflect on the instincts within them. Uh, and there will often be a spirituality to that, I think. But I'm not sure that answered your question. My fountain of wisdom is running dry, perhaps. <laughs> I guess it, I don't know either, <laughs> but I guess it comes back to the fact that we're interconnected. And so if we're attuned to our own body, then we're picking up something that's true within the system. So it, it, it's, again, it's that shift from, oh, this is happening to me, rather than this is something that wants to be expressed. So I guess I'm I'm asking a question to us about attunement and deepening that uh, as leaders, as a, another way of knowing away from you know the cognitive modes that are so so known. I, I love the idea of, of, of talking about it through the metaphor of tuning. I've talked about how so much of effective systems thinking seems to me to be to arise from attuning to the complex systems, the complex interrelationality of which I am a part. But as you've put, put it there, also it depends upon me tuning into and attuning to, to me, to my own identity, to my own spirituality as well. So 
when things go really wrong and badly wrong, things are massively out of tune. There's discord, right? And some of the big problems we've talked about even in the last 10 minutes, um, the achievement gap uh, between the most marginalized and the least or, or with the climate crisis, it's because things are discordant. Things are all out of tune. So I love the metaphor you're using there, Naomi, of kind of tuning in. And it's tuning into ourselves as, as much as and as well as tuning in to others and as much as and as well as tuning in to the ecosystem of which others and I are both a part. That feels like a really good place to press pause on what's been a really, really enriching and really interesting conversation. And it really brings me back to one part of our model. If I think about the so what question of this, which is been permeating all the way through, I think, which we often, one of, a, one of the parts of MSB's way of coaching is small is good, small is all. And I keep coming back to what, what the temptation is to feel like you need to change the whole system. But what if it's just about making small changes to where you to where you are and what you do and who you work with in your community, trusting that that creates fractals and ripples in the way that you described that will impact beyond anywhere that you will ever quite know. I'd agree with that. And there was a verb you used earlier, which is not a radical or complex verb, and that's to listen. And I think the small thing we can all do as leaders instantly is to listen. And it's through listening that we hear others' stories, and it's through the communing of ours and their stories that that you know that really positive process begins, whereby you know systemic attunement can happen in the end. Matthew, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a really great conversation. No, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. I don't even know where to begin. It, there was just so much in that conversation that it's inevitable that it took us into two episodes. But Matthew talks about rich data sets, and I feel like we've just been exposed to a really rich data set. Yeah, just can you can you pull out just a couple of things, Naomi, that you're taking away? I'm curious. Matthew's capacity to hold these really complex ideas and communicate them in such a digestible way is a is a real a real gift to hear someone someone speak in that way and i'm I, yeah i'm taking away this the complexity of the systems that our school leaders are are tasked with with stewarding and yeah i'm just taking away that sense that that what you add to a system will kind of takes on a life of its own and there's going to be trial and error there and, and that's okay. And this is kind of a skill that that future leaders are really having to having to work with. But I, do you know I'm going to have to listen to it again because <laughs> there was so much there. There was, but I think that's a really useful reminder that if we think systemically, which I still am learning, feel like I'm learning to do, then adding the tiniest change into your organisation can have really significant repercussions that you maybe don't foresee. So I, I feel kind of encouraged by Matt's examples and evidence of, of the benefits of thinking systemically and seeing, seeing schools or seeing any organization as a kind of organic 
changeable thing rather than a linear fixed thing. Yeah. And anyway, just just to point out to folks, if you want to find out about more math, about Matthew's work, head over to Mona Lisa Effect. That's with an E effects.me. And you can find him on all the usual social media platforms. Thanks for listening to this two-parter and we look forward to seeing you on the next one. See you next time. Thank you for coming along with us on this principled journey. To learn more about making stuff better and how we can help you and leaders in your school, please do get in touch through hello at makingstuffbetter.com. Alternatively, you can find us in all the usual places like LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook. Links are in the show notes below. And don't forget to subscribe and if you can, leave us a review. That's all for now. See you next time. Thank you.